You're listening to episode 18 of the Take the Reins podcast with Nikki Porter. Welcome, and thanks for stopping by. You're listening to Take the Reins, a weekly personal growth podcast for horse owners. If you're invested in becoming the best version of yourself in all your relationships, both human and equine, this is the spot for you. Through our conversations, you will learn how to become a stronger communicator, leader, and deepen the connection you crave both in and out of the arena. Horses have an awful lot to teach us, yet very little of it actually has to do with horses. They reflect back to you who you are emotionally, physically, and energetically. They are a mirror to your soul, and it is time to take an honest look at who you are and who you want to become. I can't wait to connect with you, so here we go. Welcome back to the Take the Reins podcast. Oh my gosh, guys, I cannot wait for you to hear this interview. It is by far one of my favorites, so we're going to dive right in. But right before that, I want to just encourage you, at the end of this interview, make sure you go onto social media and find my guest, see what he has to offer. I do not think you're going to be disappointed at all. Here is my interview with Josh Nickel. All right. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for coming on the show. Can you just tell us a little bit about where you are right now and how you're involved in horses? And uh, yeah, just give us a little brief rundown. For sure. Yeah. My name is Josh Nickel. Uh, Right now we live in Western Canada, so uh, Northern Alberta, actually. So a little town called Manook. Um, We have a ranch here that uh, I train horses at. We I'm now, I teach, I teach clinics. I have people come in and work with me and I yeah, train my own horses and, and uh, do a variety of things here with them. Um, my style and philosophies, the way that I've kind of look at things, um, kind of come to title my style relational horsemanship. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the reasoning for that is the more and more I've come to understand how horses work and tried to bring out the best in them, the more I have learned that taking things by force, submission or dominance, it, it doesn't necessarily, in the end, bring out the best from them, them physically or mentally. Mm-hmm. So there's been a ring of truth or consistency in how there's actually, actually these universal principles for people and horses, and how you know trying to force or make or dominate or demand um, actually turns on the self-preservation of any creature. Mm-hmm. So you might be able to get something to do the thing you want, but you're actually turning on negatives in their bodies. So negative chemicals start to pump cortisol, um, adrenaline, and you're now putting the animal or a person into a state of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So this, this actually um, fires all the wrong muscles and makes the mind actually not able to learn, which in the end takes away from the very thing we want, which is, you know, we love being with these amazing animals. So uh, that has begun to refine a style and an approach for me 
Um, and yeah, relational horsemanship is kind of what I title it because the heartbeat of my work with horses in that I'm trying to develop bridal horses at the highest level I possibly can, which demands that the horse really show up, mm-hmm. um, runs off of a heartbeat of them feeling comfortable and safe, safe with me. And so then that, that would kind of define the leadership style. Wonderful. That makes sense. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because when we're thinking about like universal principles and thinking about that force or demand, um, one of my concepts that I really try to make sure that I'm always feeling into is the concept of not forcing anything in my life. So when I feel like I desperately need something, so whether that be money or love or whatever it might be, abundance of some sort, that I know when I'm feeling that sense of desperation, I know that I'm putting the wrong energy into receiving anything, right? So when we're thinking energy and we know that horses are so connected to energy, it just flows perfectly. Exactly. Cool. Yes, exactly. The, a big piece of, so when I speak of relational horsemanship, I, uh, I guess the, the basic title of it is to say that if there's any anxiety, fear, or worry inside of a horse, this means that there's an unmet need within them mm-hmm. that is taking from their peace. And so then our job is to figure out what their needs are and meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, predominantly the needs have to deal with three kind of main pillars. And those are mind, space, and pressure. And the opposite of relational horsemanship is what I call emotional horsemanship or reactive horsemanship. I've been kind of changing it a bit because I, I want to move away from the concept that, all, that emotions have a negative kind of connotation because I don't right. believe they do. But, but a reactive emotion can sometimes, you know, often break relational connections. So relational horsemanship is, or this definition would say that when you see your horse acting out or struggling, whether it be pinning their ears or rejecting something you say, that you interpret that with the same emotional lens that you would if you were in that state, thus justifying emotional pressure, which I think we all know becomes one of the biggest relational breakers that we have, whether it be in our own relationships that that would cause us to you know, get big and, you know, maybe say things we, we felt in the moment, but maybe don't really mean, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, get too big with a horse and burn some bridges with them. So, but it all comes down to interpretation. And I, I spend a lot of time on this with my clients because the way you interpret something sets a tone for how you're going to move your thoughts and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, so relational horsemanship as a premise or as an interpretation point begins to change how you're dealing with what you see the horse doing. So it will cause you to feel like, my goodness, I need to meet a need here. Mm-hmm. And the, the heart frequency or the energy I'm giving off now is that of not sympathy, but empathy. You're going you're gonna to feel like, man, it's my job to fill in here because horses coming into our lives and doing the things we want, well, it was never their choice. They wouldn't have decided, probably wouldn't have ever done the things I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to want them to do it, it's my job to go ahead and meet their needs first rather than just try to make them do the thing. So um, it, it really all starts with how you think. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I spend a lot of time beginning with people. And focusing on the energy of that intention of what you're looking for versus the response that they're doing that are, is not what you're looking for. Yeah, that, exactly. The, right. the thought ends up moving the energy with so much power. Mm-hmm. And if it's stimulated by an emotion, it mm-hmm. becomes very overwhelming to a horse. And because horses don't have 
a big cerebral cortex like we do. You know, we're able to we're able to process through things much differently. And with I think of it like the middle ground between thought, you know, really being able to be in a calm state and an anxious state. We have this buffer zone where we can filter through things um, outside of trauma. You know, um, those can sometimes jump that cerebral yeah. cortex very quickly. But that's more like a horse, right? They have they'll go from thought mm-hmm. to anxiety quite quickly. And so the idea is, is to, to do our best to support them to not necessarily go there to stay in a thinking state so that their bodies can stay available. And that mm-hmm. kind of leads me to the next point in the training is so predominantly our first goal would be um, building this connection, um, helping a horse feel like their needs are met, which is how I look at leadership. Leadership starts with what's operating within me. And if I am offering a good deal within my own life, the horse will sense that they can trust me. So a lot of times, and I see this all the time that, you know, someone who's, you know, has a certain level of confidence will walk up to a horse and you can see a horse change. If somebody walks up and they're really angry, you're going to see the horse change really fast too. Yeah. So leadership starts with what's going on inside of us, which really to me is where so much of the personal growth starts. Right. And as you're talking, I just have a quick question. You can finish what you're saying and then maybe tie this in at the end. But if you could just offer a little bit of advice that you believe helps people be able to tune into that outside of their work with horses so then it mirrors what they do with their horses. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay, perfect. Um, I find that the the first point that I think is helpful with the horses is is as soon as you stop believing that everything the horse does is the horse's fault and you can start sensing that a lot of times the energy you're giving off or the way you're doing something Mm -hmm. is a level of responsibility inside of the relationship Mm -hmm. so i think it's a real balance because i think the horse has a responsibility in this as well but so do we so if we can start recognizing that that we have these triggers that actually cause us to get into these emotional states and become willing to maybe overdo responses and reactions and then, and then you can start actually associating that to a lot of your own life when you're, mm-hmm. when you have situations where you're actually overreacting over the same stimulus mm-hmm. because of how the horse made you or you, how you believe the horse made you feel. I have mm-hmm. this assumption that we all really do get to decide how we feel. Mm-hmm. And, but yet we give up the control of that very, very readily. Mm-hmm. Um, but then starting to recognize what are the, tri- what are your triggers? What are the things that set you off? And then when you look into those things, most of the time you would believe that it was someone else made me feel this or someone did this and it made me feel that. Mm-hmm. And uh, starting to, I, I, I have a process where we work on affirmation building mm-hmm. and it's building affirmations to speak against some of the emotional triggers. Right. And so it's, so it's kind of renewing your thought process on, on elements. And uh, so, yeah, one of the best ways is just to start recognizing, you know, some of the areas where the horses trigger you and then how you feel like you want to respond. And then mm-hmm. recognizing some of those areas in life where you're triggered and start, mm-hmm. start having a sense of, you know, why am I being triggered that way? Right. And usually it's because we're giving up emotional and energetic control mm-hmm. to an outside factor. So I'm mm-hmm. allowing the horse to change me or I'm allowing a person's emotional moment to change my insides. Mm-hmm. So this comes back to, to leadership again is that, you know, the depth of leadership is that I have the ability to, you know, decide the energies that I live within. Mm-hmm. And it's not up to an outside factor, which then allows a horse to struggle and allows me to retain with it, retain the space that I would desire for them to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it's, 
It's interesting as well, because I've been doing a lot of reading and watching and learning about the chemical responses that our body has to our emotions and our thoughts. And then that familiarity within those reactions Mm -hmm. um, and then our addiction to that familiar feeling. So when we think about that in relation to our horses, first, I love that you're talking about the triggers with our horses because it gives us an opportunity to use our work with our horses Mm -hmm. to make us a better person outside and vice versa, right? right. So when you can recognize those triggers and you're like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I just did there. Mm -hmm. And it's not even like, it's not necessarily a matter of oh, beat yourself up and I better do better next time. Mm -hmm. Part of the doing better is just recognizing that you were triggered so that you can take that responsibility versus the blame. But when when I'm listening to you and really thinking about that connection between the emotions and, and our response, when we start learning about why we are responding the way we are. So, so much of what's happening with us is happening on a subconscious level Mm -hmm. because of, let's say, a a specific gland that gets triggered and then there's Mm -hmm. a chemical response as a result of our emotion. So it's really easy when we think of fear, right? So Mm -hmm. if we think, okay, if you're driving your car and you are in a near miss and you know that, you know, you just got out of what just happened by like the skin on your teeth and you're like, oh, thank Mm -hmm. goodness. I can't Mm -hmm. believe that just happened. And then you feel that physical response. So like your face gets red, you start sweating, your heart's beating faster. That's really obvious what's happening. And you know that it happened as a result of fear, but we aren't as a tune when it's something as small as like, you know, maybe our, our horse stood on our foot mm-hmm. at one point when we were younger and that really like, that was our first time being hurt around our mm-hmm. horse. And then the next time our horse steps closer to us before we're, we're ready for it, or if we're not aware, we're not paying attention, then we have that automatic response or subconscious response to their behavior that then creates a chemical reaction within us. And mm-hmm. then it's this whole cycle, right? Totally. So that's, that's fantastic that you're digging yeah, into that uh, and working with that. It's such a cool thing because I think and understanding the biology really helps here because mm-hmm. the, the reptilian element of our brain mm-hmm. is always trying to save us. Yeah. So what can happen is, is, and this is a uniqueness to humans because see the human can be triggered into self-preservation by thought alone. Mm-hmm. So I don't actually need a stimulus right. like a horse would need snow to fall off the arena, for mm-hmm. example, a dog to jump out to stimulate their self-preserving chemicals, mm-hmm. which throw their body into um, a state of adrenaline and, and anxiety mm-hmm. where the human, you and I can be sitting here and I can immediately have this thought, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm in a state of anxiety and self-preservation. So a person- And your body doesn't know the difference between being right. in that actual experience and just thinking about it. That's right. Yeah. So the level of, this is the, this in itself yeah, intertwines the depth of reasoning mm-hmm. for self-development in all of us mm-hmm. because the complexity of knowledge that's necessary within ourselves See, understanding the biology empowers your success now because just understanding what's going on in your system allows you to um, not, not get caught up in the loop. And as soon as you are in a, um, a sympathetic state, 
your fight or flight mechanism is on, you're not even thinking anymore. So you're only reacting and then you'll react in whatever way you think will save you. Mm-hmm. So if you, you feel defensive and you then get caught in that loop, well, now you're overdoing certain guarded elements and mm-hmm. you're breaking relationships. So yeah. this is really to me where the depth of leadership comes in how able you are to free yourself mm-hmm. from your sympathetic responses mm-hmm. with practice and knowledge. So there's certain practices, you know, whether that be meditation or, you know, getting our minds to a place of stillness. These are just huge elements to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then knowledge, you just as we're speaking about, if you recognize how your system works, well, then you'll recognize where you are and what you're doing and then what you're modeling to your horse. Mm -hmm. I would say that most people, the struggle they have is they come to a horse, they want the horse to be calm, but all the horse smells is or and feels Mm-hmm. is the chemical release of mm-hmm. self-preserving elements. Right. So, you know, you're asking them to be calm, but yeah. you're thinking about something that happened last week mm-hmm. and you're sitting there in a overloaded adrenal state yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and wondering why your horse won't calm down and now getting after the horse because they're not relaxed. Right. So that in itself is really the intertwining element, I believe, of a, of a deep working horseman mm-hmm. is where you can really start sensing, okay, whoa, this is my deal. This has mm-hmm. nothing to do with my horse right now. Mm-hmm. And I talk a lot about breath because breath is the biological recenter. Yeah. So you, by just stopping and taking a deep breath, your system can't stay in a sympathetic state and breathe deeply at the same time. So it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the most simple ways I give people advice or thoughts mm-hmm. when you're in a state where you're overly anxious is just to stop and breathe for a while. Mm-hmm. Take some deep breaths and then your system resets and now you can think again. And that in itself is a great model to a horse mm-hmm. because you now are giving them examples. So, And it's uh, funny because people say all the time, oh, just take a deep breath. And it sounds so cliche, but it yeah. actually works. There's science behind taking a deep breath. It's cleansing. It's yeah, it releases mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So it's, that's fantastic advice. And I think it's funny because people really do think, oh, well, you know, just take a deep breath. It comes from somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We kind of went into a a line there, but where we were talking before we started chatting about the mind and that got us into this uh, Mm -hmm. visit on, on self-development, which to me is just excellent stuff. Mm -hmm. But the whole idea of now talking about the horse and the human is again, similar, but because the horses don't have the cerebral buffering to process things the same way we do, as soon as they're not in a state of calmness, if our engagement with them creates anxiety, what happens is, is the defensive muscles fire. Well, we know, we all kind of know what a, what a horse that's in a defensive state looks like, or, or well, maybe some, some people are not familiar with that, but it is the tensing of the back, the elevation of the head, mm-hmm. the widening of the eyes, you know, the alertness of, of the face. And so the back muscles be, begin to fire. Well, when, so then when you have an anxious mind, the back muscles fire, what that does is that actually drops the horse more onto their forehand and causes their sacrum to tip back. So the horse is actually not in mm-hmm. the athletic posturing to right. carry a rider well. So it's very interesting. And I believe this to be one of, again, another heartbeat or pillar of relational horsemanship mm-hmm. is by, by meeting a horse's needs and creating calmness in the mind, you actually turn all the defensive muscles off on their top line. Mm-hmm. And then the relational elements or the relational muscles would be their, their undercarriage. So the, mm-hmm. the longest coli, the activation of the core, which then is the biological truth of why a relational approach, not a dominant approach, is actually the root to allowing a horse to use their muscles correctly so that they can carry a rider well. And I believe that to be so cool that mm-hmm. then relationship is what allows the horse to feel like they can trust you 
with their physical body. Right. Kind of a neat principle. That's fantastic. Yeah, so much goes into creating a rela- relaxed horse and not just, okay, my horse can stand still and relax, but being able to move their body with you mm-hmm. and that athleticism mm-hmm. and be able to use their body effectively with you and still be relaxed in mind and body. It's mm-hmm. huge. Yeah. As you were talking about leadership, I couldn't help but think about Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Did you read that? I haven't read it yet, but a lot of my my students have. Oh, it's so good. The whole time I was reading it, normally I'm reading books that have to do with horses and Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh God, that connects to people. And Mm -hmm. then I'm reading, you know, whatever, and I connect it back to horses. And and -hmm. for this book, the whole time I was reading it, I was connecting it to our leadership with our horses. Mm -hmm. And it really does come down to vulnerability, Mm -hmm. right? So when we're reacting in such a defensive way, Mm -hmm. that fear of being vulnerable, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically is so intense for people that it's hard to let go. So what would be advice from you Mm -hmm. for someone to be able to, you know, let go a little bit and trust that vulnerability or that vulnerable state? Yeah, that's a big one. Actually, I I help a lot of people work through fear. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it does come down you know, I would say the first thing is, is your interpretation of a situation. Yeah. If you believe that your horse is being bad, trying to get away with stuff, you know, being a jerk or being, you know, everybody has all these crazy names for what they believe that the horse is doing. Right. So they really create a story. It totally, you create this crazy story in your mind and now you feel like you have to follow through because the advice that's often given in these scenarios is you can't let them get away with this stuff. Right. You can't, they can't be dis- disrespectful. That's right. They can't be yeah. disrespectful. So now the story now has um, a motive that you have to play out mm-hmm. if you don't want to let them get away with it. So it continues to put people into scenarios mm-hmm. where they're not physically, mentally, or you know, at all prepared. And then they get into spots where they end up getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And now your brain has more fuel to create a defense against you being vulnerable and open. Mm-hmm. And again, this to me, when we talk about leadership, I, I really try to define what I mean by leadership because leadership is a bit of a muddied word Yeah. because um, there's so, you know, you can talk leadership and, you know, people talk dominance and kind of intertwine the elements. But mm-hmm. again, the idea is, is that it's really about, about what's happening within you, not what you can make happen outside you. A little bit of the difference between, you know, the boss and the leader, so to speak. Right. So, so again, we, we have to get, I really encourage people to change their perspective on why what's happening is happening. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you can do that, it frees your, your belief that you have to kind of force something. Mm -hmm. And then you can start at the beginning. And so if you can just work at first off, recognizing that your own needs have to be met. So do you feel safe? If you don't Mm -hmm. feel safe, then you need to take a step backwards. Mm -hmm. If you still don't feel safe, you take another step backwards until you can breathe and Mm -hmm. feel like you're able to offer the horse something at that stage. Mm -hmm. The next thing is, is then to start offering the horse something and there's a whole kind of training scale to this for me of of what i try to take people through to get the horse to be calm and once you've once you've got to a place where you can be calm and your horse can be calm i don't even care if that's just standing by them in their pen right because the place the thing is is to just honor where you're at is to just get to a place where you're okay to be where you are Mm -hmm. and then you can begin your journey but if you're always imposed on 
uh, so you're allowing others to impose upon mm -hmm. you what you should be doing or where you should be, you're always in a state of tension because your reptilian self-preservation is always arguing with your soul's desire. Right. So your soul's desire is to get out there and throw your arms out and ride your horse and feel free. And your reptilian desire is to say, if you do anything like that, you're going to be dead. Right. Yeah. There's this huge twist in our guts. And, and the goal is, is to get to a place where your soul and your safety align in a process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you can start working on that in an honorable way, this, this really starts to, to build a base of confidence. And as we begin to feel like we have a confidence, we can start feeling a little bit more open because our self-preservation is not guiding every choice. Mm -hmm. So if in your mind, your self-preservation leads you, it's very challenging for anyone to be vulnerable because those chemicals are screaming that you're going to be hurt. Mm-hmm. So it really does come to a place where you can authentically embrace where you're at mm -hmm. and just stand on your own ground about saying, you know what, I recognize normally I would lope circles on this horse, but genuinely I don't feel safe. So mm -hmm. I'm going to get off and I'm going to stand by my horse until I can breathe. And wherever that point is, is where I'm going to begin. And that sets a tone for the beginning of a new journey. Mm -hmm. And I just want to free people to that. You know, is that it doesn't mean you're not going to lope again, but it means mm -hmm. when you do it, you're going to do it in freedom. Mm -hmm. And that might take a bit of a process because you have to get to a place where you can really recognize what's going on within yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So the so relational journey, it's a bit of a process because it's no longer about just making a horse do things or, you know, making them submit. It's, it's really about walking that path and, and letting their voice give you some guidance, you know, about where you're at and what they feel from you. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're also doing the same for the horse, trying to meet those needs for them. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it, it kind of becomes a, a really beautiful relationship, I think. I would love if you could just share an example of an experience that you've had working with someone who had a horse that appeared aggressive or ear pinny or cranky in some sort of way. And if, if you have a story that goes along with this, where the person had a story made up or they mm -hmm. had an interpretation of what the horse was doing versus what was actually happening and then how they made that shift in their ability to handle that horse. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I would say that, that these scenarios come up every single clinic mm -hmm. um, because people come to me with problems and, and in the past, you know, it's, it's a little bit less as people kind of get a sense of, of my style. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times people will come and they say, here's my problem. This is what's going on. And they've already got a mental story written. Mm -hmm. You know, it just it, uh, quickly makes me think of a lady who brought a big, a big draft cross mare. And um, the, the lady was getting bucked off. You know, she was strong and powerful. And, and uh, the, mare, the lady had a lot of crass names for the mare. Mm -hmm. And the relationship was now set. The lady was angry the mare was defensive and the lady would respond a certain way and the mare would then react in her guardedness. Mm -hmm. And the lady's interpretation was that the mare was doing it for a certain reason. So there was now no way out of it. Mm -hmm. So the lady believed she was going to come to me and I was going to get on this mare and, and maybe get after her enough and she would stop. Right. And uh, it took, it took the whole clinic actually, because the, I do, I do four day clinics. I, I tend to struggle with two because yes. it just feels like there's, there's just so much to unpack. Yeah. And uh, I care, I care a lot, you know, and uh, about really helping people embrace 
the changes because there's yeah. change in them and there's change in the horses. So that's really worked well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it took, it took a couple of days cause I had to, it really just came down to the mayor. The mayor did not have a clue how to think under pressure. So we talked about those needs and maybe we can touch on that still, but um, the mayor had no understanding how to think under pressure. Anytime she felt pressured, she would go to her self-preserving nature. Mm-hmm. And that is what came to her is that then she had to guard herself by bucking. And because the lady's interpretation was that she was being bad, and the mayor never was not able to change her interpretation of the pressure. So as I went in and did the work that I do uh, and helped the mayor start to understand a new way to think through pressure, she, she didn't buck once. And mm-hmm. so then the, the, the third day, the lady was absolutely livid because mm-hmm. she just felt like, oh, well, the mayor's just not bucking today. Right. You haven't and actually delved into the problem. That's right. Because she believed to fix the problem, I had to go into the behavior yeah. And then change the behavior. Well, horses can't actually do that. They, when their self-preservation system fires, they're no longer thinking. Mm-hmm. So there is no going into that behavior and disciplining it and thinking the horse is actually learning. Um, you might put them into a submissive point where they can't do the thing, mm-hmm. but they're not learning. And that's where that, that over submissiveness can, can seem like it's kind of working, but it doesn't necessarily turn them loose into an empowered relationship. So mm-hmm. anyways, by the end, the lady, the lady really grasped the concept and found quite a lot of success with the mare. But it was very important that that need, this horse, what I would say was a pressure horse. So mm-hmm. she was overstimulated by pressures. Mm-hmm. And when that need wasn't met and she didn't understand how to think differently through pressure, she would go to this place while the lady learned how to help the mayor think differently and was able to be proactive. And that honestly is the key. If we can proactively meet needs, you're not seeing these aggressive relationships anymore or the over, um, the overemphasized moments of self-preservation, you might call them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you want to go back to the topic of the needs? You kind of made sure. a little bit of a comment there that if we could go yeah. back to that. Sure. Yeah. So, so Again, relational horsemanship is based on the idea that when horses are anxious and, and worried or seemingly disobedient or disrespectful, they are, they are shouting that their needs are not met mm-hmm. and they don't feel safe and they don't know what to do. And so from a leadership perspective in this relational style, the job is then to identify what the unmet need is and then do our best to meet that need, which is the key to bringing peace Mm-hmm. And then the horse can make their body available again to the training or to our work. But if they are in a place of unmet needs, they cannot make their bodies available to the training because they need it for self-preservation. Mm-hmm. So this is how, you know, the depth of leadership, uh, it really affects true athleticism. Um, horses will pack their tension in their bodies, very similar to people will, but that the way people will. And if we don't address it, you can get an unsoundness, irregularity mm-hmm. in motion, um, inability to carry a rider because they can't use their bodies right. Mm-hmm. So, in this scenario of my example, this was definitely a pressure horse. So this mare would see the world and believe she had to run from stuff. So pressure mm-hmm. horses would usually be horses that are a little more spooky, mm-hmm. um, startle quickly. You know, if you move move something too fast, they would brace and get anxious. Um, and so then, you know, just quickly. Um, so pressure horses need to understand how they can control pressure by learning to soften the pressures and also control it with their thoughts. And that blends in with the the second need. So um, 
I can unpack these as much as you'd like, but we'll just go over mm -hmm. them generally first and, yeah. and then you can do what you think. But so, so first of all, they have to learn how to control pressure in a new way outside of their self-preservation and inside of relationship. Mind horses are horses that are, you know, mentally taking care of everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And the biggest symptom of a mind horse would be a herd bound horse. Mm -hmm. So of course that's just can't stop thinking about their herd and believes that their self-preservation is satisfied when they have their buddy close to help this need. We have to get to a place where our questions actually work at changing the horse's thought first mm -hmm. and not working the body solely. So by connecting to the mind and affecting the release of your requests to what they're thinking about, this brings peace. So right. this is summed up in the concept and the statement that a horse's feet are always trying to go where the brain is. Mm -hmm. So if I can bring their thought back to me, then I now have the ability to change what their feet are doing and what, what is going on inside them. Mm -hmm. So if you separate the mind and body, you create anxiety. If you bring the mind and body back together, you create peace. Mm -hmm. So we now have to get to a place where we have the ability to direct a thought and not just move the body. That would be the biggest mistake I, I end up seeing is that people are, trying to move a body, but the brain hasn't come back. Right. So you end up missing this thing that is important to the horse. Now you're missing the need. Um, and then the final need is space. And that's, that is space horses would be what people would classically call disrespectful. Mm -hmm. The pushy horses, um, you know, the horses that just want to, you know, they don't maybe want to go forward very well and seemingly look dull, these types of assumptions. And uh, space horses are horses that are, this is where, this is where it gets a lot more personal because horses want to engage with your energy. Mm -hmm. And when you are not energetically present, they will lean in and look to connect with you. Now, most people inside of life have become very closed off mm -hmm. and a space horse will go looking for you. So they want to connect with you energetically. They want to feel your bubble. They want to feel your space. So it's almost as if they're asking you to break through yourself and get outside of yourself. So space, you know, is not when a horse pushes into you, it's now not for us to say, get out of my space as if it was a person being pushy and mm -hmm. we might call it disrespectful. A space horse is a horse that desires community and connection on a, on a spatial and energetic scale. So they're actually asking you to show up. And so then that, again, pushes us so heavily into the personal growth elements mm -hmm. of what's going on in life that's caused you to become so, you know, that would have caused you to close off. Mm -hmm. And boy, does that ever get into some, some deep, you know, deep-rooted conversations. Yeah. Um, and so then what a space horse is looking for is for you to, to show up authentically on the outside of your body. And when you have a thought that you share it and that you are able to express it in your being mm -hmm. and not just closed off behind your eyes. So it's really beautiful how all of the elements, all of the horse's needs kind of ask for something uniquely different within our own being mm -hmm. um, that, that draw a betterness in, in, in the human mm -hmm. so kind of, kind of cool. That is cool. That's awesome. I'm going to get us on track for a second because I feel like this is one of those conversations where I'm going to get to the end of it and be like, oh, I really wanted to ask that question. And then we'll have been talking for three hours and it won't work. So 
We've talked about the relational horsemanship. I think that's fantastic. I do want to ask you, you know, you really focus on the personal growth, Mm -hmm. but if you could sum it up, and I know it's been spoken about in a lot of what we've already talked about, but Mm -hmm. if you could sum it up for us, what do you think or how do you think that personal growth impacts horsemanship and if you want to relate that just personally how your horsemanship or mm-hmm. how your personal growth has impacted your own horsemanship that's totally up to you for sure yeah i'm happy to <clears throat> there's the vulnerability <clears throat> so so yeah for myself personally i i was an athletic person i always would have sought out approval based on performance mm-hmm. um student athlete through high school and college, uh, love sports and love excellence. Um, so for a large part of myself, I would then want the horse to actually have to show up so that I could succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what would happen is, is that I would have to push through where my horse was at or what my horse was ready for. And so I had some really fantastic horses at very key points of my early 20s who would have none of it. Mm. And, and that really set a real beautiful tone for me because anytime I got into that state where, you know, it was really about my ego or about what I was trying to get done and not take care of what they needed, it was immediately, you know, I had a horse that as soon as he'd feel me go there and, you know, my, obviously I think that there was a certain lack in my horsemanship at that point, but, but it was a beautiful experience because, you know, he would buck me off. It was mm-hmm. just as soon as he got it, I felt that I wasn't there for him. And this was a pretty damaged horse. And I was trying to, you know, do my best to, to cultivate that. But as soon as I'd go there, he would, he could not hold himself together. Mm-hmm. And so it really got to a place where, as I started learning that, wow, it's very connected to where I was at. And mm-hmm. as I started to kind of get my mind around, you know, when I'm in a different place, he feels safe. And when mm-hmm. I'm not, he feels immediately threatened. Mm-hmm. So, so that set a wonderful tone for me at a very early age to say, holy smokes, the horses are feeling what's going on inside of you. They actually don't care what you're wearing. They don't care what you look mm-hmm. like. They just feel you and they resonate with that in a positive way or a negative way. And so that, that it really just continues to deepen what, what, I, what I wanted to try to offer to the world. And, and then you get a sense of what, what the world is feeling from me. Mm-hmm. because the horse was just reflecting what he was getting. Mm-hmm. You know, so, that, so they're really authentic. And this is really the whole universal language element. You know, it sounds kind of wooey, but it's really just, you know, there's this, there's this sense and language of things that are given off. And as we get to a place where we're giving off deeper truths and more openness within ourselves, the horses feel safer because we're not hiding anything. We're not, we don't have a, mm-hmm. a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. And that can only come as we free ourselves through a process of, you know, self-awareness and self-growth. Mm-hmm. So it became very serendipitously connected as I started to challenge myself to my own growth. Mm-hmm. I was seeing immediate, immediate changes in my horses in how they would feel safe. They would feel more confident. And I was changing nothing in my training outside mm-hmm. of the fact that now I was less emotional with them. I was not so quick with my pressure I was, you know, giving them a little bit more benefit of the doubt, you know, and so mm-hmm. that, that immediately starts to change your mind frame. All the so, things that so, if you made those shifts within any relationship in your life, mm-hmm. it would create massive, massive mm-hmm. impact and way more connection. Totally. 
because you're now focusing on what you're bringing to the world, not Mm -hmm. what the world is doing to you. And I feel like that's probably one of the biggest points where relational Mm -hmm. horsemanship or relational reactive living kind of gets its fuel Yeah, is that we put out there that what they're doing is attacking me. The horse Mm -hmm. is being disrespectful. That person is talking to me and talking down to my blame game. That's right. And now Mm -hmm. I feel justified to be aggressive and attack Mm -hmm. versus saying, if I want the world to change, it starts, it starts right here. It Mm -hmm. starts within myself. And as I make those shifts, all of a sudden, Oh, my dogs, I train dogs too. My dogs are working differently and my horses are happier and my relationship with my wife gets better. And Mm -hmm. because, because we don't, we underestimate how powerful our energies are. Mm -hmm. And when we begin to make those shifts, how powerfully that throws it out into the world. And I don't necessarily have a sense of the depth of that alignment. Sometimes it seems like it goes to the other side of the world. Hmm. And sometimes it seems like it's very local. Mm -hmm. But when we start to change the frequency we operate on, our horses sense it. And mm-hmm. so does our, our world. So that, mm-hmm. that's where, again, relational horsemanship, the heartbeat of that is mm-hmm. changing the way you're interpreting the world and how you walk in it. Mm-hmm. And we speak about frequency. Like, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. I remember one of the very first personal growth anythings that I had gone to. I was really feeling like I was at this really desperate place in my life mm-hmm. where I felt a little broken or a lot mm-hmm. broken. And I just needed to go to something that somebody was going to tell me how to fix myself. How was I going to fix what was happening? And it was the very first time and somebody drew it out on a chart. I looked at it and I had a hard time understanding it. And she was talking about the different frequencies of different emotions. Mm -hmm. And I was floored by it, first of all, floored because attributing any sort of energetic frequency to how I was feeling just seemed odd. But then the other side of it, once I started understanding it and really researching it and diving into it deeper and then seeing and feeling the difference, Mm -hmm. I was like floored by the fact that nobody had taught me before I was, you know, 25 years old, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that this was an actual thing. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you start looking at the science behind these sort of things, it makes our work with our horses and seeing the changes in our horses make so much more sense. Totally. Yeah. Energetically, I I think that, you know, the word energetic is is slowly becoming less um, kind of unnerving to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just the science behind stuff now is is just so it's just so common. It's becoming commonplace that the science mm-hmm. behind frequency and the magnetic charge that's given off, mm-hmm. and even just you know the 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 science and the work that's been done on water right. when it's around different emotions mm-hmm. and music and how it changes. It's like there's just so much to our frequency. It's so cool. And our horses are feeling this. This is how they exist. Mm-hmm. You know that was some of the the work. It's on how the they heart. survive. Yeah, they, they have to sense the intentions and the feelings around them. And, and mm-hmm. that's how they associate themselves to a moment. Mm-hmm. So if it's, it also really comes down to why, you know, so much of the horse therapy stuff becomes so, so great because mm-hmm. um, the horses are able to be with you right where you're at if you're not in an offensive state. Mm-hmm. So if the horse is threatened, then it's totally different. But if you're yeah. just being in your state with them, mm-hmm. man, they can just resonate with you and, 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 mm-hmm help you feel safe. So thickness of it to me is just so awesome. Yeah. And when we can get to that place where we're, we can kind of just allow it, mm-hmm. you know, 
why do you feel so amazing around a horse? I have something called the law of intensity. And it just says that um, if you're around a grumpy person and you're only a little bit happy, pretty (laughs) soon you'll start being grumpy. Yeah. If you're around somebody who's really happy, then, you know, you're only a little bit grumpy. Pretty soon you're going to start perking up. Mm-hmm. And the heart frequency in a horse is way bigger than ours, which is why only standing around a horse or smelling their nose or, you know, being mm-hmm. around them makes us feel better because their frequency is much hotter mm-hmm. than ours or much higher than ours, just in its, in its vibration. Mm-hmm. So if we can just recognize that, and that kind of takes us back to that whole concept of the question you asked, but if you recognize that your thoughts are emitting from you, as much as we would try to stop that from happening, which is the vulnerability piece. We don't right. want to be vulnerable. We don't want people to know what we're thinking because of our trauma and our, our, our struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to let every, anything out, but recognize that that, that causes you to look like a, to a horse, like you're hiding something. Absolutely. You're not letting your feelings out of your body and the horse can't necessarily trust you. So that puts them into a self-preserving state, mm-hmm. which then starts to start, it starts a loop of negativity. Yeah. So if we can get to that place where we can start recognizing that when you are around everything, everything is feeling you. Mm-hmm. And when you can start living in that by giving off what you would like to receive back. And so you mm-hmm. live within the calmness of what you would like to be around and you start emanating that and you start practicing it. So to me, that's really what my morning practices are all about mm-hmm. is to develop a real proactive approach to give off what I want to receive back. Mm-hmm. And whether it comes back to me in a direct form or an indirect, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. But that's what I'm going to give off because it feels beautiful for me to be in that space. And I find the more I do it, the better I get mm-hmm. the quicker and quicker horses trust me and feel safe with them in my hands. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, so that's, that's the essence of turning a horse loose. So we've kind of summed up the first concept, which is how do you get a horse to feel safe? Well, right. you have to do the work within yourself, yeah. understand what they need and then be able to act on the needs and how it looks to meet them. Mm-hmm. then the horse feels safe physically and now we can start training <laughs> so right. to me it's, it's actually not training until the horse feels safe yeah until you're able to keep their their thought until their thought desires to be with you mm-hmm. they're not actually trainable yeah absolutely <laughs> can you we're, i'm gonna like wrap this up because we'll talk all day um <laughs> with one last question. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know, you know, who you think has impacted you most, like just offer one. I know that's probably hard, mm-hmm. but one person or concept that's impacted you most in your own personal growth. And then one that's impacted you most in your horsemanship. Mm. Oh man. That's tough. I know. Very tough to summarize. I'm a, I'm a lifelong student. You know, that's why I call my my little slogan is a horseman's pursuit because I'm just constantly pursuing this mm-hmm. um, Two motivations. I, I think I'd have to give two because I feel like those are sure. big ones. Um, my relationship with God is a big piece. Mm-hmm. Just, just trying to seek a spiritual connection, you know, that, that in itself has mm-hmm. inspired so much. That's a good summary. And then various, various people that are more cutting edge where science and energy align. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've, Got a lot of help from Dr. Joe Dispenza. Yes, me too. Uh, yeah, just just such a great space of connecting mind and body and just understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just I think just you know, and then a basic thought there of I get I get to decide how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know that that in itself is one of the most powerful freedoms that I'm not I'm not victim to what's happened or I don't need to be. 
mm-hmm. or to the thoughts I have or the thoughts that I feel like people are throwing at me. You know, I, I get mm-hmm. to realign my own brain. I get to rewire my process mm-hmm. and I get to write my story. You know, that, that in itself mm-hmm. is just such liberation. And freeing yeah. yourself from, I often hear people say, oh, that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Or that's just what I'm about and mm-hmm. I can't change or, or that I did that because that's just who I am. And then mm-hmm. th- that's just not in my mind. Now that I've delved into this, it's no longer valid. That's right. Well, all you have to do is understand the science now, the science mm-hmm. of how brains develop, how the mind works, how dendrites in the brain produ- are produced. It's mm-hmm. not truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can, you can, uh, it is not, it's what you've become based on your interpretation mm-hmm. of the world yeah. and how you've processed through that. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't make it less powerful, the trauma that people have been through. And I really think mm-hmm. that sometimes it can sound insensitive. Yeah, that's right. The traumas and that isn't at all what I mean, but it is very freeing to know that, that we can write a new story if we would choose to. Right. Um, that, that's at a whole level of freedom of not getting lost in any pain, mm-hmm. not getting lost in, you know, in any story I had written in the past. Mm-hmm. And just this huge load comes off your shoulders of, you know, being able to freely go with the new story. And I think it's really important also for any of my listeners right now who are listening. And, you know, oftentimes we speak about the spiritual side of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a religious family. Mm -hmm. And I I know sometimes people kind of get hung up on that. And they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't believe in Mm -hmm. that. But I really encourage people to understand that, you know, when you start looking into these concepts of personal growth, a lot of times there's a common thread of spirituality Mm -hmm. and that it doesn't have to be that you need to believe in a religious form, that that's definitely what some people enjoy and need and, Mm -hmm. and really, I don't know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. but it's it's something that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. But myself, when I started looking into this, I knew that spirituality, I had to start investigating my own spirituality after mm-hmm. not growing up in a religious home. And really, mm-hmm. really, I always had this hang up of saying like, but I'm so science-based. I just need mm-hmm. things proven to me. Right. Yeah. And now I have a different sense of spirituality. And when mm-hmm. I understood what that meant for myself, then I was actually able to trust. And I think that's where religion really falls in for people. And when, mm-hmm. when others aren't able to understand the process of trusting within a religious sense, when mm-hmm. you start understanding that for yourself, you can understand things like grace mm-hmm. and trusting mm-hmm. In, a, in not of a sense of like trusting yourself, but trusting that you're not alone in the whole process mm-hmm. that, you know, by letting go, it doesn't mean you're letting go of control because there's something well beyond you that's far greater mm-hmm. than you can imagine. So the control is beyond you anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, that I have <laughs> I, I I would resonate very closely to that. I, I feel like I think that people just need to, I, I think everybody kind of has a sense there's a lot more going on than we know. Mm-hmm. Um, human loves to, you know, say we've got it figured out. You know, we know how the world works. And then five years go by and we're, we're like, well, holy smokes. Well, we didn't actually 
<laughs> and right. now there's way more. And, you know, the, whether it, whether it be the, the intricacies of the, the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly right. or a sunset or the universe. And the fact that um, a two degree tilt of the sun being light years away a lot, you know, there's just so many ways right. it makes winter or summer, you know, like there's so many amazing factors that can draw us to say that, man, there is a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and just opening yourself to the fact that there's probably a lot more. And then I think what happens is your soul starts to get fed. Mm-hmm. And I think that our feel, and we didn't talk too much about this and I'll try not to get carried away, but That's right. um, feel is a soul thing. Mm-hmm. And this essence within us of, of being able to sense and feel the beauty of life is, mm-hmm. is uh, inside of our hearts. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of times why people say they can't feel in horsemanship is, is again, a self growth piece because mm-hmm. that means we've, we've shut some things off, I think, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I, just I think, think that's going to be another conversation. Oh, totally. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, I just encourage people to just to just open their mind to the fact that there's more out there yeah. and that you don't have to write it in someone else's story. Right. You know, it gives a bit of freedom. Yeah. Okay. To finish this off, name a horseman that has impacted you. You know, probably my, when I, when I was a teenager, um, I had a great privilege of spending quite a bit of time with Harry Whitney mm-hmm. and uh, he's a very quiet, humble horseman that, uh, you know, I feel like I was mentored on what it was to be a young man mm-hmm. and, uh, and the kind of the roots or pillars of good horsemanship. His focus was never on, you know, he, he wasn't into showing, he wasn't into doing what he did as a demonstration as though he did clinic, but it wasn't about that. It was just about being able to share what it was to kind of be with horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that set a, that set a really powerful tone for me, mm-hmm. you know, from there, the pillars were built, I would say, mm-hmm. on what I wanted to feel with a horse. And then I had to start journeying through myself. And, and after that, I, you know, I rode with a lot of different people. But mm-hmm. uh, that was a, Harry was a, Harry was a very influential part of my life. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Very I appreciate it. And I would love to continue this conversation again with you at some yeah. point. I think that we have a lot to talk about. I think we have a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So thank you. I really appreciate you being here today. And mm-hmm. I should say tonight, I guess mm-hmm. it's almost 10 o'clock my time. And Yeah, totally. I, 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 love, I love these kind of conversations when you're mm-hmm. spending time with someone who's resonating on the same energetic kind of frequency yeah <laughs> no. the conversations are so deep i feel like i'm taking in a lot here too so this has just yeah. been really great great that's fantastic well josh i can't thank you enough and uh, i look forward to talking to you again soon thank you very much all right thanks well that's it for today Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please leave a review and share it with your friends. To learn more about me and what else I have on the go, skip on over to NikkiPorter.ca. Thanks again for listening, and we'll connect again next week. Until then, remember, you have the power to take the reins and live the life you've always wanted. You just have to step into the arena with an open heart and an open mind.